it's Dave. Welcome to the Business of Fun. If you're new here, welcome and thank you for joining us. Today's episode is with CEO of LifeBlue, Nikki Purcell. We talk about leadership and relationships and revenue and a whole lot of fun stuff. But first, before I get into all that, how is everybody doing? Um, today is the 13th of July. I can't remember what day or month it is some days, uh, and I'm sure that a lot of you are in the same position. Uh, it's been a rough couple months, rough couple weeks. Um, as I have gotten the podcast back up and running, um, it's been a lot of wondering what I can offer to help people, uh, what I can give people to, that'll help them move forward, uh, how I can help in some little way give back to the community that's given so much to me. Um, there's a couple things I want to point you to this morning af- or slash afternoon, depending on whenever I get the podcast finally completely edited and posted. Um, the first thing is, is is the Talking Tickets newsletter, which you can get by ju- visiting my website. It's DaveWakeman.com. Click on the newsletter tab, and you will see a, a sign-up for two different newsletters, but one's Talking Tickets. Inside Talking Tickets, I started to do a Slack channel back in March and April when we uh, first went into lockdown called uh, the Talking Tickets Slack channel, which you can join pretty simply. Um, if you want a link and you haven't got it, just send me an email for any of the stuff. It's davidavewakeman.com, and I'll make sure you get whatever you need. Um, but over the last couple of days is layoffs and firings and restructurings and all these different bad things have started to happen for folks. I put a ch- put a couple spots in the channel for people who are um, looking for a new gig or who are offering a new gig. Um, I don't know if it's useful for folks, but if you, it is a resource that you want to take part in, send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com. Let me know. Um, we're trying to figure out ways to you know keep people moving in the right direction, uh, give people a chance to connect and give you um, an opportunity to get on your feet uh, and get back to normal as quickly as possible. Another great resource I want to point you towards is um, the We Will Recover website. You can find that at wewillrecover.live. This is something put together by my friends um, at ActivityStream. It was led by Anar and Martin um, and their team. It's a great resource. People from all over the world uh, like the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Australia, headed by Angela and Joe. Uh, the Ticketing Professionals Conference in the UK uh, from Andrew and Carol. Um, TRG and Joe Robinson. Um, Made Media. Uh, all kinds of, like, Stay 22. Tons and tons of people from all over the world uh, giving content, uh, classes, ideas, all kinds of things to help people get back on their feet. So check out WeWillRecover.live. And then also make sure you take some time and look at the Booking Protect website. That's BookingProtect.com. We have some stuff going up there that's focused on the future. It's focused on revenue, relationships, reinvention, recovery. Uh, That's BookingProtect.com, and you click the, the link that says Tell Me More, Not File a Claim. And look for the blog. There's a bunch of stuff going on there, and we'll continue to make sure we get stuff up there. Um, as for you, you know, send me a note. Let me know how you're how you're doing. It's DavidDaveWakeman.com. I have been telling everybody, like, look, just call me. 
just text me, just email me, no matter what you need. Uh, I've set up, I think, at least six phone calls this week with folks uh, that, you know, want to talk through something, have an issue that they're trying to deal with and don't know how to cover or deal with it, or just want to talk, right? Because things are stressful and everybody's a little on edge. Uh, all of those are acceptable reasons. You just don't need an excuse. The fact that you're listening to this introduction is enough reason for me and you to talk on the phone right now. Um, I know from dealing with the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009, um, the aftermath of the September 11th terrorist attacks uh, and some of the uh, uncertainty in the economy in the 90s that when an event like this happens, it's very stressful for people. People don't necessarily know how to talk about things. People feel can feel alone. They can feel isolated. Uh, they can feel uncertain, unsure. Um, I don't want you to go through these things on your own. So, you know, make sure you send me uh, an email at daviddavewakeman.com. You can send me a text. If you're not in the States, I'm on WhatsApp. My cell phone number is plus one for the area, for the comp- country code, then 917-705-6301. You know, use me as a resource. I, I, I want to be available to people, even if it's just to like, be like, dude, this sucks. Um, you know, people have done it for me. I want to return the favor as much as possible. So, Let's do that. Now, let's talk about Nikki Purcell. Um, Nikki is really, really a great leader. And the first thing that um, we talk about is the way that she's handled leading her team through the pandemic. Uh, Their offices are in Dallas, and uh, Dallas has become a bit of a, a hot spot. So it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big challenge to deal with. So the first thing we do is we talk about Nikki's philosophy on leadership and her ideas on how she's been providing the best uh, experience possible for her team. We get into a lot of other stuff, though. We talk about communications and we talk about change and we talk about transformation of your business, transformation of your business model. We talk about um, how people's time is m- compressed, how people feel overwhelmed. We talk about, um, you know, brands and we talk about revenue and we talk about um, understanding what brands and revenue and marketing can look like during the p- pandemic and after. We talk about um, putting the emphasis on the customer. We talked about some case studies that uh, Life Blue and Nikki have uh, created. Um, they've done a really, really great job working with FC Dallas, which was one of the first things I learned about, and how they have helped them create a season or package—not necessarily season ticket package, but like a mini package that better reflects the way that people buy tickets and engage with the team. Now, uh, we talked about being busy, being overwhelmed. We worked in some jokes. Uh, Nikki talked about Tesla unprompted. Uh, You know, it was all kinds of great stuff. Uh, I was really excited to have the chance to talk to Nikki. Uh, I'm a little rusty, so any challenges in the conversation are on me because Nikki is great. Um, I'm excited for you to hear her and hear her talk about leadership and revenue and her vision for the company um, and the industry. Um, She's just fantastic. Uh, And so without anything else for me, 
because I'm just rambling now. Here's my conversation with Nikki Purcell on the Business of Fun podcast. All right. I'd like to welcome Nikki Purcell to the Business of Fun podcast. Nikki, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm totally fine now. Uh, you are um, a special guest to me because, like I told you before we started talking, this is the first time I've been in my office in three or four months. So uh, everything feels like normal again, or so, sort of normal. So I'm so I'm excited to to sit in my old chair and everything. So this this is going to be fun. Great. <laughs> yeah, uh, we don't have we don't run a serious operation over here at this podcast. Um, but I I did want to start out by talking with you about we are in the middle of the pandemic still, and one of the first things that I noticed about you and was one of the reasons that I wanted to make sure that I asked you to be on the podcast was during this time was great uncertainty for folks. Um, you have been at least for somebody who's from the outside, it seems like a really, really strong, like taking a really strong leadership stance and really done a great job of, you know, keeping your team together, um, solving problems, working together, and, you know, moving through um, as a team in an environment that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, lend itself to that in all differences. So I'm kind of curious about, you know, where your leader like your leadership philosophy and, and how you've made some of the decisions for your team during the pandemic. Yeah, well thank you for that. I feel like one of the things that's been really challenging, as you all know, is that people are having to manage through this level of uncertainty. And it goes really in line with, as you mentioned, my leadership philosophy, which has really been that people follow people, not strategies. And even if we have the best strategy laid out with the best vision and the best, you know, potential PowerPoint that they can follow along with, at the end of the day, they're going to get in line with people that they believe in and people that they believe have their best interest in mind. And so as we've walked down this path and had to think about our future, what's really led, you know, my direction in terms of our team has been transparency and being open and honest about the challenges that the pandemic faced. Um, you know, not just for our business, but for our team members, and then being able to set a vision for both the short term and the long term, recognizing honestly that it may change, but that even in this time, nobody has all the answers. We can just sort of muddle through it together. Well, that, and it's interesting because you talked about the, the reality that nobody knows exactly what things are going to look like, and that communicating this thing, your vision and your mission and short and long term goals. Is, is number one very important, but number two, in a time of great uncertainty, I think is a little bit more important as well because, um, you know, the feeling I get is like everybody's so uncertain that it creates a sense of, um, I want to say vertigo, but I don't know if that's exactly right. You know, so how do you, you know, strike that balance, right? So that you're, yeah. you know, you're you're telling people this is what we know right now, but I want you to be know that this is not 100% set in stone because none of it can be. Yeah, it's it's interesting. When um, I was thinking about how to best present to the team our vision and how we're going to manage through this uncertainty, I actually thought about the movie, um, you know, with Michael J. Fox and um, when they were in the DeLorean and they were, you know, about to set in Back to the Future a date and time in which they were going to go back to. And you know, Marty looks over and he says, where are we going? 
where, um, where are the roads? And he says, don't worry, there are no roads where we're going. And that was a sense of like, wow, like in the future, you mean there's not even roads? And then the car obviously takes off and it, and it flies. And I actually used that as a meme. And it was the perspective of, you know, where we're going is an unpaved road. We don't necessarily know, and there isn't anything that says, oh, when a pandemic happens and, you know, one of global scale, this is what you do. Um, but that level of uncertainty is what I try to draw a parallel against, which is even though this is completely new to us, the fact that we as a business and as people are facing crisis of both economic concerns, business concerns, and even just emotional um, and anxiety concerns, that actually does have a history that we have you know, had to grapple with in the past. And so while the circumstances are very different of a pandemic, certainly going through economic downturns and, you know, recognizing the impact that it has is not new. And we can take some lessons from how, um, you know, we've really been successful in the past, whether it's ourselves or others, and uh, take the best of what has come out of challenging times and try to apply that to the future. And so while, you know, not apples to apples, certainly there are really good examples to look back to to be able to take, um, you know, some guidance from. Yeah, no, that, I mean, the example of using history as a way to guide yeah. what the reaction now is, is incredibly important. Um, I, you know, we've only known each other a couple of weeks now, but you, you I, I don't know if we even touched on this the last time we spoke, but that's exactly where I point people towards. I go, this is new because we haven't probably seen a combination of all these things come together. But do look at history or even look at examples of other countries, and you can learn some things that maybe you can use as guides for yourself. Um, I'm curious, since, you know, I, you know, I have a, a tendency to use some of these similar examples, you know, where are you pointing people to look for, you know, um, examples that they can follow or learn from? Well, you know, we are a business in which we really try to help, you know, our client partners transform digitally. And, you know, before we came into this pandemic, there are certainly certain industries and certain client partners that are a little bit ahead of that curve. And we're already recognizing that digital technology enables them to do things and change things in their business in ways they hadn't even imagined. Um, certainly coming into this space, there are going to be people who wake up to that now and say, gosh, we were nowhere where we needed to be. But we're sort of fortunate in the sense that we were already a group of people who are looking for ways to help clients transform and taking technology that they hadn't used before and applying it in a way that, you know, was really successful and created value for their business. And so for us, part of what we're trying to focus on is a little bit um, with the bandwidth that we have found ourselves having inwardly to be able to say, well, we advise folks all the time on how to do this. And are we keeping ourselves accountable to that as well. And so when we went through, you know, a period of time right after COVID hit and everything kind of slowed down or it felt like the world, the world sort of paused as it related to, um, you know, client work, we started recognizing that we had opportunity to catch up, if you will, on some of the things that we always wanted to do but didn't find the opportunity or time to be able to do. And so we have um, really spent some time focusing on what, our future is and ensuring that if we could get ahead from a timing perspective, that we could go and um, be very specific and mindful about what we wanted to produce in this time. And so we were really, really um, excited to be able to have, you know, resources for the first time to put them against um, selfishly a little bit of our own business. Yeah. And I think we, I, this we definitely talked about when we were, you know, prepping for this thing was that, that idea that I'm going to use this crisis as a opportunity to recreate the business and to put us on a better a footing 
um, going forward. And I think it really relates very well to the work you do for clients too. It's this idea of um, constant reinvention, if I, if you know, if I'm not mistaken. And mm-hmm. I know that you work with the companies across a wide, wide spectrum uh, of industries. And I think if I'm not mistaken, so if I am, it's totally on me. But one of the things that you do when you're talking to your clients is you talk to them about reinventing, you know, how they face the world, right? Because I think um, if you look at the Life Blue website, you might have uh, an initial reaction like, oh, it's like about websites. And you and I have both talked about this uh, for uh, quite a bit. It's not really about that. It's about reimagining the way you present yourself to the world. Am I wrong or is that am I accurate there? No, you're you're definitely accurate. We have a lot of people who come to us and say, "Hey, I'm really interested in you know redesigning my website." And the website, in in my opinion, is really just an outward expression of some other symptomatic things that might be going on within the business. Um, certainly, there is opportunity within a website from a brand perspective to provide a different outward approach. But ultimately, a lot of times, the digital presence that you have plays a significant role in how your business. Um, generates leads, how you actually generate revenue, how you're able to create value on the back end in terms of a system, in terms of efficiency. And so digital technology is really something that um, is much broader than just the website itself. And so when we're talking with client partners and we're thinking about solutions into the future, a lot of times we use examples that are really out there in the wild that people are very accustomed to and really um, used to because we have to bring it back into their world and what they've experienced. And, you know, everyone looks to, you know, companies like Uber and you say, wow, that was transformational. And, you know, at the end of the day, something that I think is, is crazy is that, you know, taxi could have created Uber, you know, the taxi system that existed, but they didn't. Instead, they were disrupted. And the same thing with, say, Airbnb. If Hilton Hotels decided to wake up today and say, you know, we have to think about ways that people are going to put themselves in control of the situation in the future. Let's think through that in a different way. That absolutely could have been an invention or innovation that they, you know, thought of. And instead, they didn't. They were disrupted. And so what we're always trying to do is figure out what is the trend that we see and how can we actually get out in front of it. And, you know, ultimately, that's where we're looking at that for the same thing for LifeLoo, but we're looking at it for our client partners as well and just asking those questions always with the consumer at the front at the forefront of that. Oh, yes. No, we speak a very similar language on putting the customer first. And, and what I'm curious about here, and this is, um, you, you know, it's interesting because of what we're dealing with right now. Uh, and change has really accelerated. And you talked about trends. Um, what are some of the trends that you are talking through with people right now? as having a, you know, going to be having a bigger impact over maybe, and I don't know what time frame you're using with people, but I'm talking, you know, most of the time in my conversations, it's 18 to 36 months, um, and you can mm-hmm. go shorter or longer if you want. Um, but I'm curious what trends you're talking about, because, I, I, again, um, this is something that I, I feel people don't pay necessarily nearly enough attention to until it's too late. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, I feel like even before we came into the pandemic, one of the Uber trends that that we began to see is that people just felt time compressed. No matter what you were trying to do, you never had time to get to the things that you felt like you should be getting to. There was a sense of being overwhelmed. And what I think has been so interesting about the pandemic is people have almost been forced to not just figure out what to do in a different way. In some ways, people have experienced time for the first time. 
um, real luxuries of time to go back and think and to say, you know, all of our extracurricular activities, if you will, have slowed down. And so now that we have, say, a free Saturday, free of, you know, kids sports, free of all the things that used to just eat up our entire calendar, what are we going to do with that time? And I think a lot of people have figured out that some of the things they thought were priorities are no longer priorities because even with the bandwidth, they haven't, uh, they haven't decided to prioritize them, right? Um, so this whole idea of how people think of time and where priorities are, I think is an interesting perspective with the pandemic because usually when I talk to people, they're in one of two camps. They feel like they um, have just got this onslaught of time to figure out what to binge watch next and they can't really go out and they're not as busy doing concerts or going to sporting events. So it's how they fill their time. And then that's juxtaposed people who feel like they've never been busier in their entire lives. And it's really fascinating how there's been such a parallel and a you know, divide in that sense. But the one thing that it always comes back to is, is this level of personalization. And it's all about me and it's all about something being customized for me um, based on what I'm trying to accomplish. And the one thing that I think is going to be even more fascinating when we think out into the future is that a lot of times people were using um, you know, websites, technology to be able to be faster, to be more efficient. And sometimes the solutions weren't. Sometimes they were things that ultimately was actually faster to pick up the phone and call someone or to um, find an appointment and do something differently. And so many people have adopted new technology that they hadn't used before this pandemic. They hadn't previously decided to have, you know, grocery delivery, or they hadn't previously, in some cases, used things like Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And that adoption of technology for the holdouts, if I will, those who weren't really adopting it at the same rate, is probably going to accelerate now. And so one of the things that is um, very prevalent in our business is that overwhelmingly, the amount of traffic coming to digital presences via mobile devices over desktop is certainly the majority. And yet the majority of the commerce and the revenue that's being traded is not happening via mobile device. And so one of the things that I feel like is obvious from that is that people simply don't have a good enough experience on a four or six inch mobile screen to go through the hassle of actually converting online. They'd rather do some research there, make some decisions. And at the end of the day, when it comes to punching in, say, you know, all those digits on your credit card and your expiration, your CVV code, you're going to wait until you're at a bigger screen and you have time to concentrate on it. And from my perspective, there are many who are waking up to the fact that it's not just Amazon, but many others are setting the bar for how good that expectation should be in a mobile world. And they're going to have to meet the consumers of that challenge. Yeah. And, um, I was wondering how you knew about me and my shopping habits. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of the not just me, Dave. Scary. And Amazon and everyone else knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's completely true. It's um, and I would say that for me, um, the, the example that you gave of either I have so much time to binge watch, or I've never been busier. Uh, it depend, for me, it depends what day you catch me on. But I can say for my <laughs> my lady, uh, she has never been busier. I mean, she is busy. It's like so incredibly busy. It's like the pandemic hit and she had to like recreate her entire business uh, to happen remotely. And like they, her and her team are like extremely busy. So yeah, she's like not binge watching anything. And I'm like, well, didn't you see Tiger King? I mean, come on. And then she just rolls her eyes at me, but you know, that's me. <laughs> now, um, yep. now, well, you know, we all have our thing. Um, now, 
one thing I am interested is you brought up the, the idea of commerce, uh, so much traffic happening on mobile devices, and then not nearly as much of the commercial activity happening on mobile because the experience is not as great. Um, right. And I know one thing, one real good example, because this is, um, you know, largely people who are in entertainment, tickets and sports. You have a couple great case studies of how you've helped organizations walk through that. Can you give us uh, an example of, you know, how you're able to transform um, an organization's front facing, you know, commerce platform in a manner that allows people to kind of more simply create personalization um, in a, a better digital journey so that they keep equals, you know, my favorite thing, money? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it usually for us as a process starts with what we call discovery, which is trying to learn as much as we possibly can about the experience that exists today. So we have tools and technology in which we're able to go in and um, not go down the data road as you were starting to go down day where we learn everything about an individual and their personal data, but rather their processes and how they're actually traversing um, digital experiences and websites. And so we can drop technology onto existing experiences and just see, are people following um, a path, a journey? How many clicks are they actually having to click on before they're getting to where they want to go? Are they having to, you know, pinch and zoom or something built um, in such a way that it's really intuitive and they don't have to think about it? Because it really is, from a design perspective, something that, you know, we subscribe to, which is don't make me think. As long as you make someone stop and think, that's a hurdle or a friction point in the journey. And so a lot of times our starting point is understanding how people are using something today. And then once we're able to see those challenges, what we're able to do is build something that's more streamlined and more in line with the expectations of what um, we can ultimately get to a higher conversion rate. And so sometimes that is really simple. It can be doing things like increasing just the page load times and speed. Like I always joke that, you know, speed is a feature. And so if you're not paying attention to how long that little scroll on uh, the screen is taking, then, you know, that's something that ultimately you could be losing people simply because of how long it's taking to process. But your question specifically about, um, you know, an example is maybe uh, one of the best examples I can use is with a sports team that we work with, which is FC Dallas here in the Dallas area. Um, you know, major league soccer, certainly in a very challenging market where we've got lots of sports fans and highly valuable sports teams um, just vying for all sports fans' attention. And, you know, the challenge here is how do you get people to come out and fill an 18,000-seat venue you know, every single match. And it feels as though there was this, you know, strong desire that as long as someone came to the very first match and they experienced it and they had a great experience, the goal was quickly let's get them into a full season and get that commitment. And one of the things that we started looking at is that, you know, the sports world has been very prevalent in creating things like partial plans and mini plans and understanding that sometimes people aren't ready to take that full leap that they came to a game and before they're ready to be, you know, a full season member, they've got some, uh, some paths to take and perhaps it's, it's less than that full commitment. But one of the things that we noticed that was consistent in everything that we studied in these partial plans is that the team was still 100% guiding the decision-making on which games, which matches, uh, which perks and benefits, what they were going to offer related to that. And it seemed a little bit strange. Again, back to putting the consumer at the forefront of the experience. If ultimately what you want to care about is 
the person's experience and them getting what they want to get, it felt very easy for us to go back and say, we can build a model in which it's 100% custom to what the in, you know, initial fan wants. And so there was a solution that we built that enabled a fan to come in and pick however many matches they wanted, three, five, eight, 12, whatever that looked like. And not just what number fits them, but specifically which opponents and what times. And then ultimately from there, based on what they selected, they could go in and pick which benefits and perks lined up with that. And so if they care a lot about things like meet the team or giving their kids experience of a VIP tour or getting on the field before or after play, then those are the types of things that enrich the experience and they're going to include in their package. If they really don't, and quite honestly, all they're looking for is the best deal possible, they don't want to feel later like they you know, paid too much because they can see um, you know, in a secondary market how much cheaper tickets might be going for, then a perk or a benefit could actually be a percentage off. And thinking through what is unique to, you know, the actual fan and putting them in charge of their experience has been a really great way for shepherding someone from what felt like just a transaction to a relationship. And isn't that really what, you know, a membership or season member really is to a team? It's a relationship. And so that's been a really good example for us anyway of, you know, helping folks understand who really is in charge and what's usually best for the fan or the consumer is what's best for the business as well. Yeah. You, you, you brought up a whole bunch of stuff that is really, really uh, super important, I think. And, but I want to start with one because um, I'm curious because this came up in a conversation I had yesterday. Um, you talked about making the buying process simpler for people and, you know, don't make me think is the is the way you phrased it, um, which I think is probably pretty good, especially if you're talking to me. I, I will give you my credit card. I will spend <laughs> my money, and we will have fun uh, if, as long as I don't have to think about it. Uh, but I'm curious because I've seen data that um, and, and examples that kind of lead, lead me to be uncertain about the answer to this question, um, and it's about friction. And do is it right that we should go for a completely frictionless experience, or is there certain points of friction that are actually helpful during the customer journey? No, I think that's a great question. I think that it, it probably depends on um, the journey. You get we're one talking serious about. question I mean, we, a day. You get one serious question yeah. a day. Well, just one, right? Um, that's it. You know, I'm done now. <laughs> and then you're done. And mic drop, right? Um, you know, leave on a high. I think it comes, yeah, leave on a high. So this is how I would look at this. At the end of the day, what we want is for the consumer to be satisfied. And a satisfied consumer leads to good things down the road. And so if what we're asking someone to do is to make a very serious purchase with a pretty big investment or commitment, we may intentionally want them to double check what it is that they're deciding to do before they make that call. Because the worst thing we could do is have to go back and recognize afterwards how we ultimately need to refund that person or walk them through something that felt um, intuitive, but in the end, ultimately to them, as they looked at it and reflected on it, felt like it was a sort of um, gotcha or some sort of, um, you know, thing that wasn't as, as transparent as it should be. So the only time that I can think that adding intentional friction points or something that actually stops someone and makes them think is potentially when there's a commitment level that is large enough that we want to make sure that they understand what it is that they're committing to. And remember, commitment level isn't necessarily price point. Um, you know, I look to phenomenal companies that charge quite a bit for their products 
and have great user journeys. In fact, even though I'm not in the market for one and I'd love to be, if you go to uh, the Tesla website, the customization of choosing your Tesla and purchasing <laughs> through their site, I think is about four different questions it asks you in total. And then you can spend a huge amount of money. And all you did was ultimately answer four questions. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's not about price point. It's about what it is that someone's committing to and whether or not they should pause or reflect on that for the purpose of making sure they get into the right decision, um, you know, that they're looking to make. I only laugh because I feel seen because you obviously are tracking my data. <laughs> uh, because that, it, but it's exactly, it's the truth. It's like, um, and they do a really great job. And I, I'll tell you this from experience of, of also when they, the handoff between the digital experience and the person experience, uh, because they can mm -hmm. get an extra five or $10,000 out of you very simply, very easily. But it, it, yeah. that's right. It's the, um, that journey is very simple. It's very, um, there's enough friction in it so that it helps. But it seems designed in a way to make you really give you give you the encouragement to spend more money, um, which I was totally happy to do. Um, it's uh, and it, that's great. Um, and but let me ask you another question here. Well, the other about, thing too is is oh, maybe. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no no. Well, no. The only the only other comment I was going to make is that um, something that is an underlying current with that that I think is is relevant is that the entire online experience is sleek and sophisticated and really seamless. And if you think about it, it really does match the brand at which Tesla is as well. And so, you know, the vehicle that you walk out with is that same sort of brand that you're um, experiencing when you're online. And I think that matching of consistency in the consumer expectation is a really interesting part and a critical component as well. Well, let's see that now. See now you're now you're we're tracking what we're talking about here because I was going to ask you too because the the experience is great, right? It is uh, seamless and it's sleek and it it matches the brand. I don't want to disparage anybody, but like a lot of times when you're buying tickets on the internet, the experience that you give the fan when they're when they're buying online or when they're engaging with you in the buying journey doesn't necessarily always match up with what the experience is, I think, the way that the teams would would want it to appear. Yeah. Um, and I hope I said that as delicately, as delicately because I don't, I, I know a lot of times it's hard to get everything exactly right. But if people go and look at that FC Dallas um, example that we've used, that matches what they, what the brand would want to do. And I think the point with Tesla or FC Dallas or any of these organizations is that the tools are available, that it's not um, cost prohibitive or extremely, um, it's not hard to do that now. Like the, like the, the, the technology and the tools have come such so far that people can create that, you know, make a consistent brand image. Or am I, am I again, way in over my head in the technology department? No, I think you're exactly right. In fact, um, you know, we didn't talk about that, but I think that's a really good um, example in that part of what we recognized when we rethought the FC Dallas experience is that when you take a look at some of these other sports teams in Dallas and you're trying to win over that sports fan, many people and teams cannot offer what FC Dallas can in terms of a very um, sort of family environment, the ability to put players in front of your kids, have them sign autographs, take pictures, et cetera. That level of accessibility doesn't happen with the other sports teams. And so what you feel is that your experience is very much about you and how you built it and how you wanted it for your friends, family, and whoever you're coming to the match with. And so if that's what ultimately the team puts on the pitch 
and has the opportunity to deliver, then the site itself and the experience that they put people through should feel that same way, that it's all about you and it's all about being custom to what you want and what you don't um, you know, care about keeping out. So I think that the brand consistency is absolutely key. And, and when your question is about technology, I mean, we genuinely feel like if you can dream it and you have a vision for how it should work, it can be built. Um, you know, folks in technology who, who try to limit that and say, oh, well, we can't do that because of this or, oh, we didn't feel like this, you know, in our opinion, that's, um, you know, folks who might not want to look hard enough for the right solution. Because at the end of the day, technology in some ways is what you build. It, it may not have even been built yet, but it certainly still can be. So any kind of, you know, brand or digital presence that exists should be a manifestation of what the vision is of what you're delivering in, in the experience as well. Well, right. And you, you brought up an interesting point where it's like a lot of times when you're dealing with a vendor or a partner, right? And they go, oh, well, that's going to be hard or challenging to do or whatever you know, excuse gets thrown in, in, into the mix. It's typically a sign that the person is trying to push you towards a cookie cutter solution. And I think that right. um, I think I, I, this is, again, something we didn't probably talk about before. And I didn't know I was going to bring this up either. It's like, I think our philosophies match up very well in this in that like the, the technology solutions are, are so accessible and that each business, even though there's a lot of similarities between a lot of businesses, um, there's so much competition that you have to be willing and able to show exactly who you are. And the tech, you know, the technology and the solutions are available to make that happen. And that a lot of times the biggest challenge that you come that you struggle with is asking yourself the right question to figure out how exactly you want to position yourself um, and what you exactly right. want your customers to feel and think when they work with you. Or, or am I a little bit too pie in the sky on that? No, I think you're exactly right. I think um, you have to be authentic and you have to be unique and ultimately because and you didn't use this word, but what I feel like is there's a lot of noise out there. There is a lot of clutter and there's um, a tremendous amount of distraction. And so if you're going to cut through that, it has to be something that differentiates. And the only way to figure out what is unique to you is to ask yourself those hard questions. And once you net out on what that is and how you can offer something different and offer something of value, that's then what should be matched online in your experience that you build. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a, to me, that's a great answer. I like it. I mean, you know, noise and clutter, I, I tell, I use the example all the time, and I'm sure this number is either um, not accurate, has changed, or it's irrelevant because it seems real. And that's that the right. average American is inundated with 5,000 or more uh, requests for attention every day from ads, pop-ups, uh, your banner ads, like all these different things, you know, junk email, regular email, all these different things that are trying to hit us each day. So to cut through that, and to, and to think you're actually to think you're going to cut through that by being the same as everybody else is completely absurd. Right. At, at least yeah, in my it's opinion. definitely a challenge. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, you know, I think we again a lot of. <laughs> I, I usually want to have a little more adversarial conversation. We're too in line on this. This is crazy. Um, I, I, I got to bring my, my podcasting chops back up to speed here. Um, but one, one thing, or or laughing, laughing helps everything. Um, one thing I do want to talk to you about, though, is like you are a, a, a female CEO. 
in tech and in sports, which are two industries that are not necessarily always um, easy for, um, you know, for women to be involved in. And um, I want to ask you about that because I think that there's a, a, a big focus on making sure that people, um, you don't hear the same voices all the time. And, you know, I'm a big, a big proponent of that, right? Because I go, mm -hmm. I'm really... If, if I'm smart at all, which is debatable most of the time, if you ask my wife, she's going to tell you, hey, 50-50. <laughs> um, I, I figure that one of the things that makes me seem as um, either as wise or as knowledgeable or as just like uh, whatever people, would, nice things they would use to describe me, the mean things I'll help them with, um, is the fact that I, I look for a diversity of opinions. I also know that that sometimes can be a struggle for people. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how you cope with that? Because, uh, you know, I think that's something we, talk, we talk, talked about a little bit offline, and I was interested about that. And I think it might be helpful sure. for some of the people that are listening to the podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, maybe I'll start with diversity and being inclusive. I think when it's, it's almost simple for us and simple for us to make sure that we focus on that because of the industry that we're in. If our goal is to focus on creating value for client partners and doing so in a digital space, that means that anybody who interacts with the site or the experience that we produce for our client partners needs to have a fantastic experience. And that means ubiquitously across any ethnic diversity, any socioeconomic diversity, any kind of individual. And so, you know, not only are we looking to build something that is um, inclusive, we're looking to build something under the circumstances that they may be faced with. I mean, that could be making um, the experience um, accessible from an ADA compliance perspective. A lot of people don't even think that websites these days have to be. But, you know, one of the things that we've learned is up to a third of the audience can have some type of disability, and it could even just be that their arm is in a sling, so they can't use the mouse normally. And so to be able to provide additional ways to traverse through a website if you don't have um, the ability to use, say, your right arm is a key component of being inclusive when you build. And so that is something that's been in the forefront for us every time we think of a solution is who's the end user and it's not probably ourselves. And so how do we put ourselves in the shoes of the end user and a variety of them? And the best way we can possibly do that is to make sure that we're hiring a diverse group of individuals, that we're talking to them, that we're doing the right types of um, research and testing um, solutions that we build with a very diverse audience. Um, you brought something else up, though, that was about being, I guess, female in this, um, you know, industry itself. Both sports and tech are, um, you know, not necessarily the place that are, are full of women leaders. And, you know, from my perspective, it, it could simply be because I, I grew up um, in a competitive space. I have, if you can believe it, Dave, another Nikki 2.0. I'm an identical twin. And, you know, the thing about twins are that they can have a healthy competition, and so, um, you know, that certainly was something that is innate in my personality and, and unique to me. But I, I grew up and then ultimately went on to marry a football coach. Well, there's another level of competitiveness that entered my life. And, uh, you know, today I, I stay certainly around the, the sports world as a mom of, of three boys, three busy boys that are, um, you know, competitively playing sports. But in this space, part of what you know, I used to feel challenged about was that there was this idea of the glass ceiling and this perspective that, you know, you could only get to a certain level because you're going to be struck by challenges and hurdles. And um, what I feel like I've come to learn, or at least this is my perspective of it, is, is that it's not so much the glass ceiling, but the sticky floor. And that there were a series of things that 
caused me to doubt or question whether or not I wanted to continue to progress in my career and try to take on additional responsibilities. And, you know, the sticky floor are more things that come innately in our sort of self-doubt and self-concern. But nonetheless, it's, it's really an internal struggle to figure out what it is that you want to achieve, what's the right time in your life to try to achieve those, and then go after what you want. And, uh, you know, having a little dash of competitiveness in there hasn't, hasn't hurt to be able to try to achieve that. I say when we were, um, I don't know if you watched the Michael Jordan documentary uh, earlier in the yes. spring and summer, uh, and I would see a little bit of this reaction online or like maybe people who are a little bit younger than us would be like, oh, he was a maniac and he was like this. And I was like, going, man, that's just how you, that's what, like, that's what winning looks like. I mean, <laughs> which I'm sure is not <laughs> the right answer, but I was like, going, I am an extremely competitive person. I always, and, and I think that's, um, you know, that's a great answer because I think um, one of the things that we all need to recognize is that we all do struggle with self-doubt and um, it can be a struggle to understand exactly what you want. And, um, you know, and it's, it, I'm glad you explained it in that way, because I think that sometimes it becomes really difficult for people to understand that um, someone like you or someone like me still deals with self-doubt and still doesn't necessarily know what in the world we want sometimes. Um, you, you know, and right. it's okay because I don't think that we necessarily always do a good job in the culture and in tech and sports and entertainment of, of allowing people to see that and understand that. And I think it's a really great um, a message to share with folks. Um, okay. Let me ask you, where can people find you on the internet? Well, of course, personally, I'm on, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter and of course, Facebook and Instagram and, and most social networks. Um, but that could be something that I'm, um, you know, happy to share with. And you can find me, you know, Twitter is Nikki Purcell one and LinkedIn, um, you know, is obvious as well. But um, you can also find a link to myself and my bio through Life Blue's website, which is lifeblue.com. Okay, awesome. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for doing this for us today. No, thank you so much, Dave, for having me on. It's been fun. What do you think of my conversation with Nikki Purcell? Let me know. Send me an email, davidavewakeman.com. You can check out my website. It is davewakeman.com where you find my blog, um, any events, calendar things, well, uh, the, the whole Dave Wakeman universe right there in one spot. So check that out, davewakeman.com. Like I mentioned in the introduction, make sure you check out some, re, uh, some of these resources, right? If you need me, you can send me an email, davidavewakeman.com. You can get in the ticket. Uh, talking tickets newsletter or the talking tickets slack channel um you know if you get involved in the slack channel introduce yourself uh there's a bunch of different uh, groups there and things that we've set up um try and just give people an opportunity to connect um you know get back on their feet get some new ideas get moving in the right direction uh visit the booking protect website at bookingprotect.com to find all kinds of things about reinvention rebuild pairing and rebuilding relationships revenue and a whole lot more that's bookingprotect.com and click on um, the more information not the claim side okay check out the we will recover dot live website so that's we will recover an initiative put together by martin and anar from activity stream along with their team it's great he they have brought together uh people from all over the world to uh help come up with new ideas new ways of thinking through um your business as the pandemic continues to impact us all over the place so we will recover dot live um 
As always, I want to thank you for being here. Um, If you got this far, tomorrow is the 14th of July, Tuesday and Wednesday, the 14th and 15th, the NATB is doing their virtual conference, which is a uh, online version of the World Ticketing Conference. I'm speaking on Wednesday at 2 o'clock, somewhere around between 2 and 2.10. You can uh, search for it online. You can sign up. It's free. I'd love it if you'd be there. And as always, thank you so much for being here. Until next time, take it easy.